This is P. Andrew Sandlin, founder and president of the Center for Cultural Leadership. You might have heard of uh, critical theory. Uh, it's making uh, something of a comeback, uh, or at least uh, there seems to be a renewed interest in it uh, in Christian circles, largely though not entirely as a result of uh, statements coming out of the most surprising of places, the Southern Baptist Convention, uh, with the notion that critical theory can be used as an analytical tool within the context of Christian presuppositions, uh, which is uh, analogous to saying that bank robbery uh, can be legitimate as long as it operates within Christian presuppositions. But of course, we're getting way ahead of ourselves. So I'd like to address uh, in a very brief way, all too brief, what critical theory is, and then uh, critique it briefly showing why it's uh, so uh, utterly uh, preposterous and uh, intellectually destructive. Critical theory grows out of the so-called uh, Frankfurt School, a group of Marxist intellectuals in the Weimar Republic of Germany, uh, which began at the end of World War I and uh, ended with the Hitler's rise to power uh, in the early 1930s, 1932, 1933. Uh, most of the leaders of a critical theory um, in Frankfurt, Germany, often called the Frankfurt School because they actually did have a, a small institution there, uh, did live a few years into the, uh, the uh, Nazi regime but were later expelled. They were brought, to most of them at least, to the United States by uh, leaders like, uh, leftist leaders like John Dewey, uh, through uh, money from uh, major American foundations. And uh, they came to Columbia in particular and later Stanford, Brandeis, lectured all over the country and were able to influence uh, an entire generation of teachers, scholars, others. That teacher teaching filtered down in the 60s to the new left. It's not possible to understand the new left apart from the Frankfurt School and uh, their unique method of analyzing society called critical theory. More broadly, uh, these were a part of uh, an ideology called cultural Marxism that I've talked about quite a bit. But critical theory is the essential um, uh, mode of social analysis invented by these uh, erudite, if twisted, Marxists. Uh, to understand uh, the basics of critical theory, uh, it's important to set it in contrast with traditional theory. Uh, this is done in a highly influential and uh, densely written and uh, thoughtful, if severely distorted, essay called um, Traditional and Critical Theory by what many consider the founder of critical theory, Max Horkheimer of the Frankfurt School. Here's basically his argument. Theory is intellectual analysis uh, at virtually any level, and uh, traditional theory is all about uh, looking at phenomena, not just social phenomena that is society, but uh, a scientific phenomena, physical phenomena. And he uses an example, um, Descartes, the French philosopher, some believe the first modern philosopher, known most for his uh, very skeptical epistemology or view of knowledge summarized by the Latin expression um, 
cogito ergo sum or summa. I think, therefore I am. Uh, essentially, what he was trying to do is to find out um, if there was anything certain, what he could be certain of. And uh, Descartes basically said, I'm going to doubt everything until I can find out something that I cannot doubt. He came to the conclusion that in the very process of doubting, he obviously had to be existent, if nothing else, existent to doubt his existence or doubting existence. Um, so uh, Horkheimer gave that as an example of uh, traditional theory, examining something, taking it apart, and arriving at a conclusion. Uh, Horkheimer, again, uh, certainly uh, recognized by many to be the founder of critical theory, wanted to say that that is uh, essential in analysis, but uh, theory must go beyond that. What he calls a critical theory uh, takes into account something that traditional theory does not take into account, and that is the um, historical and social and cultural conditions under which analysis is possible at all. Uh, Horkheimer and the critical theorists would say that it's uh, not right to begin, first of all, by analyzing some object, uh, some thing, for instance, knowledge, as Descartes did, or existence. But uh, you start by analyzing the subjective, that is, the analyst himself, or the act of analysis. So Horkheimer would ask, um, why would Descartes be thinking this way at all? Now, because Horkheimer was a Marxist, uh, for him, the uh, uh, large elephant, uh, philosophical and intellectual elephant in the room is... Uh, economics and uh, the material conditions of society and so he would want to know uh, what is it about Descartes particular economic condition in society an economic class that he's a part of that would have led him to be asking these questions in the first place but even beyond that what about his place in history uh, and uh, what about his place uh, in a particular culture the French culture of the time uh, this whole notion itself wasn't new. I mean, historicism, the notice that everything is historically conditioned and is not absolute, that it can't transcend a culture or history, was not uh, something new at the time, was recognized and became prominent in the 19th century. Uh, but what was new was the idea that this historicism should be the foundation for um, the analysis of of everything, and particularly the analysis of society. Uh, traditional theorists would ask, why is a society the way that it is? And uh, the critical theorists would ask, uh, well, before we ask that, we have to ask, why would someone be asking that question? And what are the particular historical circumstances that would get them to ask that question? Not just the object, society, but the subject, the person doing the asking. This notion, as you might imagine, um, produced what uh, would be called today the hermeneutics of suspicion. We wouldn't say with Descartes, walking along with him, yes, let's walk this path along with you and figure out how we can have certainty. No, before that we would say, no, wait a minute. He probably had uh, bad reasons for asking this question, even if he didn't know they were bad reasons, even if unintentionally they were bad reasons. So the critical theorists are always rooting around 
for bad reasons. And for them, because they're Marxists, those bad reasons um, come down to uh, attempts at domination, that all evil in society is the result of one group to dominate another. For Marx, of course, that was the bourgeois, the bourgeoisie, the what we'd call sort of the middle class, the property owners, um, uh, suppressing, oppressing rather, uh, the proletariat, that is the workers, particularly family workers, not so much peasants. We're talking about the uh, Industrial Revolution, after all. Uh, but then this notion of domination goes far beyond economics, and uh, that would bring us up to the 60s, 50s, uh, 60s, 70s, and 80s, which we'll get to in a minute. So reviewing, a critical theory uh, is based on several notions. First, that every uh, sort of... Uh, intellectual analysis uh, is uh, shaped by particular historical and social conditions. Two, that uh, those conditions are dominated by uh, a theory to dominate, that is, uh, someone in employing knowledge is trying to uh, dominate. Uh, but the third factor is uh, what is learned from uh, the German philosopher, the great idealist philosopher Hegel, um, dialecticalism, or let's just call it dialectics. Uh, Marx called it dialectical materialism. I won't get into the distinction there, but just briefly, uh, dialectics is the notion that uh, there are not so much fixed truths or fixed principles uh, as there are um, motions, movements, progressions, in history. Hegel believed that they were uh, basically ideas. Marx believed that they were um, economic conditions that produced ideas. But the fact is, uh, dialectics is the notion that uh, things are constantly in flux. And now, as applied to analysis, this means that uh, there are really no fixed ideas. Uh, there are only ideas in the process of change. You might have heard of the simplified, Hegelian scholars would say oversimplified, notion that you begin with a thesis, um, an idea, and it immediately confronts its opposite. In fact, it contains within itself, they would say, its opposite. Uh, that's called the antithesis. Those two battle it out, as it were, and then we have a synthesis. The best of the one um, is joined to the best of the other. The bad parts are jettisoned, gotten rid of. And that becomes the new thesis, which in turn will confront within itself more um, antithesis, certainly external antithesis. And so um, history, in this case the history of ideas or the interpretation of society, is this ongoing uh, struggle of ideas. Uh, so that's third. Fourth, like all good Marxists, the critical theorists believe that the goal of theory, um, Marx would have said philosophy, is not to explain things, but to change them. So the critical theorists, Horkheimer, uh, his colleagues Marcuse, Herbert Marcuse, Theodore Adorno, Walter Benjamin, and even some not quite in that school, but related to it, like uh, Georges Lukács, uh, and also Antonio Gramsci, Italian uh, Marxists, though disagreeing on a number of points, would have recognized this important fact, that their responsibility is not to describe only, but in the process of describing to change. So they were 
social revolutionaries. Uh, in, in this dialectical process of change always happening and being at the forefront of describing the change, they themselves are intending to change society and describing society, change it into a society in which there is less domination of one group by another. Horkheimer said that it is essentially cowardly for um, a sociologist, for example, a philosopher, merely to analyze. He must analyze with a revolutionary purpose, uh, a purpose of changing. In fact, he would suggest that, intentional or not, there will always be an attempt to change. Even those attempting not to change something are nonetheless fulfilling a particular social purpose by actively preserving the status quo. That's just an all-too-quick and uh, oversimplified summary, but at least you'll get the idea. Now, what do we make of all this? First, like all historicist theories, this one is self-refuting. Uh, Horkheimer will uh, acknowledge, even did in his essay, that his own theory, that the idea of critical theory is socially conditioned. But of course, if it is socially conditioned, we might ask uh, what uh, theory of, do of domination is behind it? Is he trying, as an intellectual, to dominate everyone else? Is for Marxism to dominate society? He would say, of course, the people who are dominating are the, the uh, businessmen, the politicians, the bourgeoisie. Uh, when we bring this up to the to the uh, 60s, 70s, and 80s, they would say uh, uh, white males, uh, the patriarchy. Um, uh, they are the ones that are attempting to dominate society. But then, of course, we would have to ask: Could that critique not equally be leveled at the uh, uh, at the original critical theorists? So the theory itself is inherently self-refuting. Like all good Marxist critical theorists do not believe in absolute moral standards, how could you? The whole notion of dialectics is that everything is in flux, everything is up for grabs, everything has contains within itself the seeds, uh, its own antithesis, the seeds of its own alteration. So to say that murder is always wrong or theft is always wrong um, or idolatry is always wrong is really only to say that it is wrong to me in a particular historical situation, but that there is an idea in antithesis to that that would redefine what stealing is or say that stealing could be right. And we're just waiting for that to happen. Another problem with critical theory is uh, because it is um, the original or certainly one of the original identitarian philosophies, it's inherently reductionistic. Now by identitarian, I mean that people act according to a particular class they're a part of. Um, the um, older classical Marxists would have been fond of talking about, and Lukács was quite prominent in this when he talked about class consciousness, that uh, the proletariat think as a class, as a group, um, or at least they should think as a group. They need some revolutionary intellectual to lead them to think properly. Uh, Horkheimer even makes that point. He says sometimes these classes uh, that should think as they, in a particular way, don't, and they need the critical theorists, of course, to lead them along to this higher understanding of, and get them away from their false consciousness so that they really understand what would be best for them rather than thinking for themselves. Well, the problem with this idea is that uh, 
well, someone's economic condition, for example, or his race, for example, or his uh, historical situation, for example, certainly has some impact on his thinking uh, or her thinking. Um, it doesn't shape everything as though that person couldn't stand outside that classification and make an objective judgment about it. A prime example is the critical theorists themselves. The uh, irony of them is that all or virtually all of them came from what we would call middle class and uh, several of them from quite wealthy families. Well, according to critical theory then, uh, their theory would be shaped by an attempt um, or their theory would, when expressed, be one that would justify uh, that um, hegemonic, that is this a prominent leadership position, dominant position in society, and they would create an ideology, a way of thinking that would justify their wealth and retaining their wealth, retaining their power, and so on. But as a matter of fact, they didn't. They developed an ideology that was uh, in profound conflict with uh, the way that they were reared, the historical conditions of which they were a part. And of course, that's true across the board. In the 19th century, the great uh, British evangelical Wilbur, William Wilberforce was an unflagging uh, opponent of uh, slavery. But he wasn't a slave, and he wasn't black, and he didn't have close friends, as far as we know, that were slaves. So uh, why would he develop this particular social viewpoint that was largely at odds with uh, his own social and economic condition. And these examples could be multiplied millions of times. Marxists, critical theorists, will say that this is an example of false consciousness, people that are acting against um, what their best interests are. But if they really understood, if they truly were emancipated, then they would understand how they should think according to the uh, identity, the class that they're a part of. Uh, the problem there is that that is um, a conclusion in search of a truth. Uh, that's assumed. Um, but you actually would have to prove that, uh, that uh, this false consciousness truly is false. Now, maybe people actually th see things quite clearly apart from their own historical condition. Maybe there is something deeper and more profound than their class than their sexual identity, than their racial identity, than their economic identity. Maybe there are deeper principles in life than those. That, of course, is the Christian view. The man is inherently religious by nature, and he is either, in the end, either a, a uh, creator worshiper, as he should be, or a creature worshiper, if he's an apostate. So see this, these, these are some of the reasons critical theory is just wrong. I want to conclude, however, with... Uh, the assertion as I began, this notion among some um, uh, alleged evangelicals and Bible-believing people that uh, critical theory can be used as uh, an analytical tool without buying into its conclusions and uh, its premises. I don't know that they understand that the analysis is itself the content Critical theory is itself a particular philosophy of social analysis. You can't be a critical theorist uh, without believing in uh, a dialectical understanding of reality. That's not the biblical or Christian view.
yes, uh, reality uh, is uh, in process. There's a, a past, a present, and a future. But it's under the sovereign control of God and oversight of God. It's not something independent. Uh, there's no indication that things or people contain within themselves inherently contradictory notions. Sometimes they do, sometimes they don't. Some people are very consistent. Some views are very consistent. Uh, moreover, the notion that uh, the goal of uh, all theory should be to overcome um, domination in society is a part of the analysis itself. It's not a conclusion of the analysis. It is the analysis. Critical theory is not possible apart from the assumption that uh, the subject is shaped by uh, specific historical forces. Uh, so, uh, to try to set that critical theory, uh, with, to legitimize it by trying to set it within a Christian context, um, is utterly futile. Uh, why? Because it, by its very nature, it is contra-Christian. Uh, the analysis part is itself the uh, presupposition of the activity. Uh, so, for this reason and others, what's called, uh, Critical theory is a Trojan horse, uh, not just within culture, it's produced great harm, but also uh, certainly within, uh, within Christianity. Uh, it's uh, inherent in the new left, it's given us these notions of white privilege and toxic masculinity, and uh, also for that matter forms of, uh, of uh, sexual Gnosticism. All of this is traced uh, directly or indirectly to uh, critical theory. It's uh, obviously, like all forms of Marxism, economically leftist, but it's even worse than that. It holds to a secular utopian progressivism, and it's, uh, by its nature, an attempt to crush or destroy the absolute truths of, uh, of creation and of the Bible and of Western Christianity. Uh, so the idea that it can be incorporated into Christianity and used in some sort of benign way is, uh, frankly, laughable and uh, would, in, in fact, have been laughable by Marcuse and Horkheimer and Walter Benjamin Adorno and others. There's so much more I could say about that, but I hope I've given you an idea that critical theory is, is um, intellectually bankrupt and uh, it is cognitively depraved. SSP Andrew Sandlin, uh, founder and president of the Center for Cultural Leadership. Uh, check us out at Christian Culture